Hi, I'm Janae Myers, CEO of Chicago Cares, and welcome to How Chicago Cares, our weekly podcast series exploring how Chicagoans can care for one another and make an impact during COVID and beyond. As the city's leading provider of volunteerism, Chicago Cares is committed to helping us expand our definition of what it means to serve, to connect, and to support one another, especially in these challenging times. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing Adam Alonzo from BUILD about their youth development program. We'll talk about how BUILD is adapting its services to engage young people in the current health crisis, as well as what BUILD's street outreach workers are seeing with the recent surge of violence in our city. Now, let's get to our special guest. Adam Alonzo is CEO of BUILD, one of Chicago's leading gang intervention, violence prevention, and youth development organizations. Adam has catalyzed dramatic growth of BUILD's programs, community leadership role, and impact. Adam brings over 25 years of nonprofit and youth development experience, serving as director of the State of Illinois' Welcoming Center for Immigrant and Refugees, director of community engagement for the United Way of Metro Chicago, director of youth services at Casa Central, and Illinois Action for Children. He's also the founding executive director of Corazon Community Services, a youth-oriented nonprofit agency in Cicero. Adam is a dynamic community leader, and I'm so excited to have him with us here today. Adam, welcome to How Chicago Cares. Thank you. Great to be here. So, so happy to have you. So let's get started by sharing, have you share a little bit of information about yourself, your background, your role with BUILD, and some of the goals of the organization. Sure. Um, So Adam Alonzo, I'm CEO of BUILD. Um, I've been with the organization five years now, and uh, BUILD is a youth service organization that's been in the city of Chicago for over 50 years. Uh, We were one of the first street gang intervention programs. Uh, Fast forward to today, we've got an array of programs that include our intervention and outreach work, um, along with after-school programs, uh, college supports for kids, um, trying to navigate the system and get into college, scholarship program, uh, a lot of enrichment programs, right? So young people need lots of things to do. So from the arts, music, uh, leadership development, um, employment and training, and uh, more recently, we've added a strong clinical component to help our young people navigate um, the trauma they faced and just, uh, you know, growing up in communities that are really rough. Um, but I've been in new services for oof, 25 years now. Oh my You're gosh, not, not that old. old. You can't have been in it for 25 years. Turn the camera back on. You'll see. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I find that I've worked in the nonprofit field for a long time and, um, and it's great. I, I, every time I've tried to leave or do something different, I just kind of get sucked right back into it and really specifically to use services. So I've just accepted the fact that I will probably always be in this space of working with young people and families. I love it. It's, um, you know, exactly what I believe is important to do. And we want our young people to be leaders. And that, those are the ones not to be cliche about the children in our future. Yeah, but they were 100 percent ours. So happy to invest um, all that I have into them and watch them grow and be great people. 
Well, you're just so good at what you do and being able to marshal resources, um, your wisdom expertise, your connections into the work um, to amplify what you're doing at Build and where you have been at so many other organizations is so critically important. So just thank you again for your leadership and staying committed. I know sometimes it's it's like tempting to get out of the space and do something completely different, but then the mission of it and, and the work and the people more than anything always draw us back. Yep, for sure. For okay. sure. Well, okay, it's summertime here in Chicago, and there is just, it feels like a trifecta of things happening, right? Like, not only do we have the pandemic, not only do we have the civil unrest that has started to unfold and continues to, um, it's it just continues to get more and more layered. With this new effort that we're hearing a lot about um, of defunding the police, right? Um, that's certainly something that is coming out more and more and that conversation is being elevated. We're seeing more protests kind of leading with that mantra. Mm -hmm. You know, in the space that you're in, how do we reduce violence if not for policing? Yeah, um, very good question. Thank you. Um, and, and you're right, it's kind of this weird trifecta of things. Just when you thought the pandemic couldn't do enough damage, right? And you add all the layers, you know, George Floyd's murder, and we all witness that, right? And mm -hmm. the unrest that just rightfully so has broken out across the country. And, you know, I think enough is enough, like no more. And yep. so that sentiment layered on top of no more about do I want to be in quarantine, right? And then add the street violence, right? And sadly, you know, it's uh, ticking up again. And I just think it's this whole pressure cooker of things that are going on. And, you know, the, the to your point about defunding the police, you know, what do we do? Um, I, I want to say a few things on that, because I think if you're thinking about, you know, should I build a $90 million training academy for police? Or what if I were to take that 90 million and reinvest in communities? Of course, I'm going to argue reinvest in communities, right. right? I think that there's a great space and a place for that. Um, you know, to all of us, not just build alone, but to all those who are doing outreach and on the streets, um, we all are clear and understand that um, a great uh, police district is partners with those who are out there doing the work because they understand that there are some things that are better left to community or nonprofits to do than they themselves could, right? Because just their badge and what they stand for is it can be interpreted by a lot of people in a lot of different ways and not always positive, clearly. Right. So I, I, I'm in, as I understand it, you know, I think initially, I think I, had, I was a little bit in shock, like, well, what does that really mean to defund the police? Um, but as, I, as I've come to kind of understand more what that means, it's, to me, it's a reallocation of reallocation, resources, right? Yep you know, where do you care most about supporting and, and investing? And that's where you put your money. Um, I do also want to say, though, that the build is in the Austin community now. We've been there almost 10 years. Um, and the 15th police district there is a model for the entire city uh, for mm -hmm. policing. And, and I say that with, with great pride. We've had amazing commanders who've been there, who've worked diligently side by side with communities. Um, the Austin response team was crafted right out of the 15th district. Um, and the, fifth, the the Austin response team's role is it's a coordinated group of nonprofits with police. 
they share intelligence and say, how do we prevent future retaliation? And we, we do these responses as a collective. So it's, it's community, it's nonprofits, it's police, and we're walking and we're talking to people and, and knocking on doors. And we've had a 100% success rate that there's been no retaliation when we do those things. Wow. But that is like bold leadership from the police, right? Mm-hmm. To say, we don't have all the answers. I don't have to act like I know it all. And in fact, let me partner with community. Let me listen and learn. Yeah. And, you know, starting with a, a number from Commander West, Commander Betts, Commander Cato, Commander T- uh, Tally, I can go on and on and list sort of how the 15th has really evolved. And so when I hear things like ACAB and like we hate the police and all these other things, I think, but those aren't the police that I know. Right. And it's not to say that those other police don't exist clearly. Clearly they do. Yep. So I, I want to be clear that, yes. I acknowledge that, but there are those who are really trying to do the right thing and understand their role as police. I think differently that they're part of community. They need to listen. They need to learn. They don't need to over police people or communities, but that's an example, right? And so 15 district leads the city um, as kind of a role model. And, and and that, I think, speaks to all of us who work side by side with our police um, district so that we can be successful. Now, everything's different, certainly in today's environment. So, um, But we continue the fight of being an active member in the community. So we're going to support things that improve the quality of life for families. Mm-hmm. And and work in partnership and alongside with other organizations, other institutions who are aligned similarly. So um, it's complicated. And and, yeah. and just because the 15th district, I think, and I'm biased, has done an amazing job. And let me be clear, they're not perfect. So right, right. And I'm not suggesting that they are like 100% have got it down. But leadership and, and the number of officers that we've all been in, close collaboration with do have it down so allocation of resources certainly um i'm open to it i think the west and the south sides finally hopefully getting quote unquote their dues yeah right investments it it's it's overdue yes and so yes i believe that we should really look at how these resources get allocated within communities and and do the right thing a hundred percent and i think you know when you think about it Oftentimes we've been looking to police officers in neighborhoods and communities. They are the social worker. They're acting, you know, sometimes as a parent, they're acting as a healthcare worker. They're acting as, you know, all, you know, crisis uh, communication, right? Um, in, in areas where they have no expertise and that hasn't right. been a part of their training. And the solution isn't necessarily to give one person the training in 12 different jobs, let them do their job of keeping, you know, people safe and have support systems in other ways. And I think that's where that reallocation piece is. So it, it is sometimes confusing, I think, for the lay person when they sure. hear that defund the police, that they're not understanding that it really is a call for reallocation of resources and then figure out how do we collaboratively work together. So thanks for lifting up that example of the 15th district, because I do believe that that's like the, the whole community policing effort that people are really trying to talk 
um, so much about that has been successful in other cities. Certainly it's been successful here in Chicago in the past, but it does take the buy-in and the leadership on kind of all fronts uh, to really get there, which is never easy. So kudos yeah. for you all for getting there. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So some of the outreach that you all do really is a trauma-informed outreach and crisis support in communities that are really directly affected by this violence. Tell us a little bit more about your outreach model and what that looks like. Yep. Um, so we have a, a team of intervention folks who will go out into community. Um, they talk with the groups of guys who are hanging out, those groups of guys who are out there in the corners. Um, they work with the police when police are saying, hey, I got someone I'm going to drop off. I need you to work with them. Right. Some, and so when we have police officers who don't want to who want to divert a young person so they don't yep. have a record. Right. Um, we work with probation uh, department as well in the same way. And so, you know, our intervention team are folks who have been there and done that. Right. They've lived a life. They've been incarcerated. They've learned the hard way. And their mission honestly really exceeds even the own organization's mission. It's like their personal mission to change lives. So these young people do not go back or end up in prison as they did do not make the same mistakes. And what they know they needed along that time, they want to be there to support young people. So that's that's one element of it. Um, and then we've got our, our crisis response team that actually, um, I, I think, does they have just such a really tough job. They are responding to all acts of violence, shootings, and homicides. Mm -hmm. And so not as the quote-unquote first responder, per se, but sometimes we are the first one on a scene. Mm -hmm. um, and we're there to walk a family through mm -hmm. and be a support to them, whatever that may be, right? It could be going to the hospital. Um, it could be helping to find, uh, you know, if there's a homicide, right? Walking and getting them, having going to the morgue to ID their loved one. Um, funeral preparations. I mean, just from start to finish, it's a, it's a really really tough job. And when I get my Monday reports uh, from the weekend violence, it's it's so incredibly sad to see. And, you know, because what we see on the news is what would whatever makes it to the news. But there is a laundry list that goes beyond what you see on the news, unfortunately. And, you know, I try to check in with my team, like, how are you guys? Because literally, you know, they're Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, basically almost 24 hours that you're literally on call, yeah. waiting for the notification, going out and responding and really trying to support families. And, you know, it looks a lot of different ways, but um, some families want the immediate help, some to stay away from me because I'm, I'm in such a horrific moment that I can't even, I can't even fathom what you're trying to support me with. Right. Um, so we've got families kind of really all over the place, but um, so that's another side of the work that we do. And so when you talk about like that's the instantaneous trauma of losing someone or worried that they may not survive surgery because they've been shot. I mean, it's it's horrible. Yeah. Um, so that's one other part of the team. And then we've got, you know, our clinicians who are doing the work with um, with these families uh, and, and families that are just struggling to to make it through. Um, and it really takes kind of a combination of all these types and, uh, of individuals and the types of services that we offer to kind of provide more of a wraparound uh, support right. for a family. 
That's what and, I was just going to say. Is know, having that wraparound is so critical because if you just dealt with one element, other pieces are right. going to fall through. Because again, not everyone needs the same thing. This is not a cookie cutter solution. You have to kind of be thinking about all those elements. Yeah, and, and I would say that for us as an organization, which is why we've tried to stay as responsive and add, you know, programs and add new ways to, to engage our families, because, you know, sometimes in situations like these that I've described, you know, there, there are siblings in the house, right? And so mm. we're going to work with your, you know, middle school students, right? Your children, let me get them in our program. Let's you know, uh, get them engaged in something after school with us. Let's help, you know, in the other ways that we can, because, you know, as the mom who just lost, you know, her eldest son, like she's in no position yep. to be in anything other than an utter state of shock and grief So yep. where we can pitch in and provide support to the family. That's, that's what we do. And, and, and so that's the work. Um, and like I said, I think at everything that's happened, it just, it's, feels that much heavier, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll say about that is that we, in response, uh, I think to just this utter sense of sort of helplessness, um, we've got our, our community engagement teams uh, who are literally just going out to talk to people. We're not selling you anything. We're not signing you up for a program. We are literally here to say, how are you feeling today, you know, to engage you in a conversation, you know, is there anything I can do for, for you? You know, we're here, if you, if you should need anything, we're really hoping, you know, that we can help, you know, have a better day today, whatever the case may be. And, and I think sometimes you just have to bring it all the way back to the basics of just like one-on-one yeah. -on -one human contact and interaction without, again, trying to like sell you a program, sign up today, right? Because I think mm -hmm. we, we kind of get in that habit it's just part of the work that we do. It's, of course, it's natural to us. But I think we need to dial it all the way back and start to engage with one another in just normal sort of everyday conversational ways. I, I was telling, I looked to my grandfather, God rest his soul, but up until the time he died, he talked to everyone in the neighborhood, white, black, Hispanic, whether you spoke English or not, he would have full-blown conversations with you about everything in life. And everyone loved him. And everyone's yep. like, oh, I saw your grandfather today. And I'm just like, grandpa, who are you talking to today? <laughs> Boy, let me tell you, right? Like, it's those sorts of things. Like, he was known about town because he didn't care who you were. He, he talked to you and engaged you as a human being as someone yeah. worthy of a conversation. And so I just feel like, I, you know, like when I look back, like lessons learned from that man, you know, that were, I think relevant for today's where we're at today. Like we just have to kind of go back and engage in conversations with people and know our neighbors and talk to them a bit more. So we've added that as part of the mix for really trying to help think through talk to people and encourage people. I know it's hard, right? And all this time, uh, it's we've all felt a little hopeless and maybe even helpless. Um, yep. But I think just to share, uh, you know, some sort of shred of hope and, you know, it, it's, it's built into our tagline, right? We build hope, lives, and futures. And, you know, I, I was just telling our team, like, it's our job to be the... the we hold hope and we've got to share with people because these are really dark times for a lot of us. So, um, so many. when you're out there, 
be light for the for the people. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so 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 true. And we talk about you know when our work at Chicago Care certainly right is connecting people across difference and like being willing to not just talk to your neighbor, but talk to someone you don't know. And how do you get in relationship with somebody, hear perspective? Like, again, your grandfather was willing to talk to anybody he met, didn't matter, right? But being able to be in relationship and have those conversations, it just shows our shared humanity. And that's just something all of us need to do. And more challenging now with this pandemic, because we are so often held to our bubbles because of just you know, fear for this, you know, health crisis that we're in. And yet we have a health crisis and we are also facing, you know, violence as a health crisis, which is a real thing that's happening. Mental health issues that everyone is suffering with, with the, you know, higher rates of depression and all the things that are happening in the space in the world right now, it really does make for difficult times. So I love that just like the call to back to basics for all of us of Mm -hmm. checking in on Mm -hmm. each other, well-being, reaching across, um, you know, and let's, let's all not forget, like, let's make eye contact with each other when we can't smile anymore with the masks on. Right. And smile as much as you can with those eyes, because it, yeah. that contact really yeah. matters. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> really, really matters. Uh, this has been like so incredible. Thank you for just giving us a glimpse of build and the work that you all are doing. And again, kudos and thanks to the folks on your team who are, you know, on a regular basis, um, really taking on the trauma in so many different ways, helping to support people through that and also doing the preventative work, which is so critical and important. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, okay. Here at how Chicago cares, we like to wrap up our interviews in a lighter way with a little word association game. So are you ready for it? Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Summer. Mario's Italian ice. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, pizza. Hot and gooey. Oh, Chicago. Cool. Mm. Very cool. Build. Hope. Mm. Leadership. Strength. Mm. COVID-19? Uh, <laughs> does that count as a word? Uh, <laughs> it can. Oh, my God. I don't even uh, have a word. It's just like a guttural sound. Yes. Uh, leave, it at, leave it at that. It is, ugh. <laughs> Restorative justice. Wholeness. Mm. Future. It's bright. Bright. And it is after talking to you because I know you're doing such incredible work. And thank you for just the inspiration, you and your team. I know you don't do it alone. Um, your willingness to work in community and collaboration and all that you're doing. It's so wonderful to reconnect. And we must have a social distance breakfast soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to How Chicago Cares, our weekly podcast series exploring how Chicagoans can care for one another and make an impact during COVID and beyond. Despite the uncertainty of the COVID-19 pandemic, there are still many ways we can step up to support our neighbors and make an impact. And Chicago Cares is here to help you do that. Visit chicagocares.org today to start your volunteer journey.
A huge thank you to our guest, Adam Alonzo, for joining us today to discuss the work BUILD has been doing in response to the COVID-19 and civil unrest. Join us again next week when I'll be joined by Vaughn Bryant from Metropolitan Family Services to discuss the critical work he's doing with the Communities Partnering for Peace initiative and how it's adapted in the current climate. Until then, I'm Janae Myers. When the COVID-19 pandemic ends, and it will end, let's challenge ourselves to continue expanding our definition of what it means to serve one another so that the city can become more vibrant and equitable for all. Thank you for caring, Chicago. 